So this year, it's coming to an end. They tell me statistically that 4 million children are going to be born in the United States this year. 4 million. That's a lot of babies. A lot of showers. uh, A lot of diapers. A lot of everything. And the amazing thing to me, I don't know about you, but of all the 4 million children that are going to be born, none of them will carry the weight of the single baby that every year around the world gets all of the attention. His name is Jesus. And it doesn't matter how many are born. That's 4 million in the United States. Next year, there'll be another 4 million, approximately, just over, just under. And there'll be another 4 million. And that's just in the United States alone. If you go around the world, there's going to be all kinds of millions and millions of children. And none of them, unless they're your grandchildren, will be uniquely special and capture the world's attention. But every year... Jesus will. And it makes us question or ask the question is why is that child that we celebrate every Christmas so special? Every one of us, when we're born, we'll get uh, three names probably. Some of you have more. Some of you, uh, you have four names and the reason is because your mom and dad couldn't figure out how to fight it out over the middle one. So you, you got four names. And, and they're never used. Ever. Some people don't even use the, their kid's first name. They name them and then they give them a nickname. And it's like, huh, that's strange. Middle names, you're never going to use them unless you're in trouble. It's the only time they're ever used. Where do they come from? Oh, it's a unique thing. There's a lot of different avenues. But probably more likely than not, in the Middle Ages, Christians began to name their kids three names. The first name, that's their kind of, you know, their known personal name. Then a middle name, they called it the baptismal name. If you go back into the Middle Ages and you start looking at all the middle names, they almost inevitably or invariably were connected to some saint. You would receive that name at baptism and it would be a sign not only of a parent's dedication of their child, but actually the aspirational prayers and hope that their child would be like the saint. We don't name, most of us probably don't name our middle names when it's after a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle or somebody special in the family. Most of us have three names. Jesus had 133. Wonderful counselor, king of kings, lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And of all of those that come to us from scripture, you might find 134. And if you do, I'll give you a Starbucks card. But you got to show them all to me in writing. (laughs) But of the 133, there's a name that stands out as his personal name. For us, parents almost exclusively name their children. No parent gives that up. I don't even care how special the grandparent is. No grandparent should ever be naming their kid. Now, if you grandparents named your kid, please forgive me. Shouldn't have been done. (laughs) That's a parent's right. Jesus, his parents didn't get that right. They didn't name him. 
We name our kids because of names we like. Maybe, you know, and you can always see the popular names. Jesus' 133 names predominantly fit into two categories. They told us who he was or they told us what he came to do. And when Jesus got named, it was not done by his parents. The story unfolds as Warren read it. Joseph, he was engaged to Mary. They were young, somewhere between the ages of 14 and 16. And Joseph understood, like any young man did, if your name is sullied in the community, you're never going to be a builder. You're never going to own a business. And so when it came to him one day that his wife slipped in the little news, Joseph, by the way, I'm pregnant. You can't fathom the disheartening news that that had to be to him. Joseph, he took his girlfriend, they were engaged, betrothed, they call it. It's, it would be far more significant than today, our engagements. It would be more likened unto marriage. And to get out of that, you would have to, if you will, divorce them. Joseph came along and he said to Mary, Mary, I'm going to divorce you. He, he chose to do it privately. He didn't want to embarrass her. He loved her. But how do you live with a person who's lied to you? How do you live with a person who's had a fling? And Joseph decided that he didn't want to do it. That night when Joseph went to bed, an angel came to him and says, and when the angel came to him, he spoke Joseph's name. And he called him a son of David. When David was not his dad's name. But Joseph knew what he meant. You're connected to King David. That's your family line. That's how I see you. Joseph, I want you to go and take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is not normal news. This is not like, you know, you got a promotion. This is supernatural stuff. He could understand the words. He just didn't understand what they meant. She's going to give birth to a son. And I want you to give him the name Jesus. I want you to give him the name Jesus. I think there's a lot of courageous people in the Bible. There are. David, I think, is a courageous king. Um, Joshua, uh, amazing soldier and fighter. David's fighting men, some of my favorites. I don't think there's anyone that is as courageous to me other than Christ as Joseph. You try hearing the news. Hey, your wife, who's 15 years of age, she's pregnant. Ah, who did it? Well, the Holy Spirit. Oh, of course. Why didn't I think of that? I mean, that happens every day, right? Happens in your family. That's how your kids came into being. The Holy Spirit touched your wife. You had nothing to do with it. Huh, you've got to be kidding me. How does that even happen? God will explain it to you when you get to heaven. He did two things that I think, and, and beyond that. Number one, 
is he believed God for a supernatural miracle that was simply beyond his explanation. And number two, is he let somebody else name his kid. It's the right of a parent. His name will be Jesus. What does it mean? Well, the scripture tells us that the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth. Paul is telling us that this name, oh, it's common. Of course, it was very common. Jesus wouldn't have been all that uncommon to hear. And that's why even in the scripture, sometimes it says Jesus of Nazareth. They would have known the meaning. Why? Because it has a long history all the way even back into the Old Testament. It meant Yahweh saves. It comes from in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the combination of two words, which in the Hebrew would have been translated Joshua. In the Koine Greek, it would be translated Jesus. It means that Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Naturally, you have to ask the question, who's he coming to save? Why would he name him that? My son's going to save people? Yes, Joshua, or Joseph, Jesus is going to save people. And Joseph knew what the name meant. But when the angel spoke to him, he said, I want to take his name and unpack it. Because there's really two additional meetings to just Yahweh saves. And he unpacks it in this text. And he says to him, I want you to give him the name Jesus, number one, because he's going to save his people from their sins. Joseph, Jesus really means God is for us. What he means by that, the angel, as he's unpacking this thing, is that you are trapped, you are under, you're imprisoned, if you will. And Christ has come to save us. But notice what it says, save people from what? Their own sins. See, we all understand. If somebody gets abducted, we go try to save them. If somebody is being invaded in their home, we go try and save them. But often, candidly, most of us, if somebody has gotten themselves neck deep in trouble, we kind of say, you made your own bed. You reap what you sow. We, we don't have a problem saving people from others. But the vast majority of us don't risk our lives to save people from themselves. We kind of say, it's your own consequence. Joseph, my son's going to save people from their sins. In Galatians, the fourth chapter, verses four and five says, but when the set time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What does it mean that Jesus came to save us from our sins? Well, the scripture says that we're, we're trapped and, and it's our own doing. It's in relation to the law. What does that mean? Well, the, the law doesn't create anything. The law doesn't touch you. The law is, though, a mirror to you. And the law has the ability to reflect for you, to tell you what you're doing. 
It's just like in our world. If you're driving 55 miles an hour, you have no idea unless the law says you're driving 55 miles an hour in a 35-mile zone. You're breaking the speed limit. You're a lawbreaker. How did you know that? Did the law make you a lawbreaker? No, it revealed that you were because it tells you this is the zone, this is the speed limit, and you're doing excessive and above it. Same thing in life. The law was given to us so that we might what? Know who we are. Know where we have sinned against God. Know where we are lawbreakers. But here's the net result this text says. We come under the law. And Jesus says, I've come to redeem you. What does it mean to redeem? It's to buy back. It's to buy out of. If you have a debt hanging over your head and it's burying you and somebody redeems you, they pay it off. They buy your freedom. They release you from the bondage, the consequence, the ownership, the authority of that law over you. Joseph, my son's going to save people. And how... Imagine the mystery of this. And Joseph, he's even going to save you. He's going to save you from yourself. You're going to teach him how to be a carpenter. He's going to teach you how to be a free man. You're going to teach him, and and the scripture says he's going to grow with wisdom under your leadership. He's going to rescue you from from this law that is going to trap you, and that law keeps you separated from God, not because of the law, but because of your sin. He's come to save you. His name is going to be Jesus. And Jesus, the scripture says, gives us the forgiveness of sins. And it's received only through the name of Jesus. It's true. Your wife can forgive you. Your husband can forgive you. It just doesn't buy you a day in heaven. It restores that relationship. But it doesn't restore this one. And that's the one that ultimately matters. Joseph, his name will be Jesus And he's going to save people from themselves. He's going to redeem us from our entrapment. There's a second thing that the scripture teaches us. It was given to us in Galatians. Not only is he going to redeem us, but it says he's going to adopt us into his family. Jesus is not only going to come to the prison and pay your penalty. He's going to, when the gates fling open, he's going to say to you, come be with me. Come home with me. It's not just a technical exchange that your sins have been forgiven, but it's a relational exchange. It's a relational invitation that Christ says, you're going to be my sons. You're going to be my daughters. I think God is one of the most creative gods in the world. And one of the things that I think is so delightful is that he made the vast majority of us in here who are older parents. And and the fact is, is if you're a parent, then uh, you should know what it means to have favorites. Every parent should have favorites. If you don't have parents or, you know, favorites, I'm not sure what kind of parent you are. Of course you have favorites. I do. 
My kids and their wives, they're my favorites. There's nobody that compares to them. My grandkids, sorry, they're just special. It's not that I don't love your kids. I, this is my favorite week up here. There's not a week, but it's not really the kids that I love watching. I like watching the parents. I like watching moms and dads down there and little kids waving at them and going, man, I'm telling you what, mom and dad, I thought I was going to die up here. This is the scariest place in the world, but I see your face and I'm safe. Fact is, there's nothing I would rather do than spend time with my kids. Nothing I would rather do than bless them, give them gifts. I never grow weary of that. Ever. I never get tired of hearing stories and hugging my grandkids. I, I don't. Why? Because they're my favorites. And I'm not apologetic for that. Nor should you be. Because when you feel that experience, when you know that relationship, you have a smidgen of what it feels like to be God. God has favorites. They're his kids. Joseph, my son, his name is going to be Jesus. And he's going to come and rescue people from their sin, their entrapment, their consequences. And he's not just going to free them, but he's going to take them home. And they're going to become his kids. And he's going to love them. And my son's going to sit at the right hand of the father and pray for them every day by name. Because he delights in them. He's infatuated with them. There's kids. And he came to embrace us and to love us. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. Some of you, uh, you're going to let that roll off of you like water off a duck's back because you never want to let that touch you because for whatever strange reason, you love to have God hate you. Please don't accept that lie because he doesn't. And please don't redefine the heart of the father because when he looks at you, he looks at you as his kids. He says that he not only redeemed them from their sin, redeemed them from their entrapment, but also he wanted to adopt them. He wanted to bring them into his home and he wanted to make them his own so that he could bless them and love them and lead them and provide for them. Joseph, his name is going to be Jesus because what he's going to do, no one else has done. He's going to free them from their sin. And he's going to take them to be his own. Jesus is God for us. But the text also tells us that Jesus is God with us. Verse 22, the scripture says, And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God is going to be with us. Who's this prophet he's talking about? Well, let's go back 700 years. 
700 years prior to Jesus, 2,700 years prior to today, approximately. There's three kings. There's the king of Judah. Israel is separated into two districts. There's the northern district, which we call Israel. There's the southern district, which we call Judea. It's there, and Ahaz was the king of Judea. He resided in Jerusalem. Pekah is up here in Israel, and then there's Syria over here, and Rezin is the king of Syria. The two northern regions got together, and they were conspiring to overthrow Ahaz. Ahaz was outnumbered, he was outgunned, outresourced. What he was looking at is down the gun barrel of his own death. He was looking at his own destruction. He was looking at the loss of Jerusalem. He was looking at the loss of his kingship. He was going to lose everything. And he comes to God and he cries out to God. God, I don't know what to do. And God challenges him. He said, ask me for a sign. A sign of what? That I'm your God and that I'm going to be with you. Ask for a sign. And so he does. He has asked God, God, give me a sign. Let me know that I'm going to be okay. Let me know that we're not going to lose Jerusalem to a bunch of scoundrels up here out of Syria. Give me a sign. And God says, okay. And he sends him Isaiah. He's a prophet. Those are the individuals who speak for God. And this was the message that the prophet came to give Ahaz 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, will bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. Again, we're in the whole context of what? Joseph, I want you to give him the name Jesus. What does it mean? It means the God who is for us, but it also means that the God who is with us. Ahaz, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fight your fight. You're going to be okay. You you can be at peace. You're not outgunned. They may have more chariots, but they don't have God. And when he unpacked that, there was two principles that God wanted to teach us out of this text. What does it mean that God is with you today? It means as it did to Ahaz, that God is with us means he will face our challenges by every step and every encounter that we take. For Ahaz, it meant I'm going into battle with you. It looks on paper like it's two kingdoms against one. But what paper doesn't show Ahaz is that I'm with you. They're formidable. They have a lot of horses, a lot of chariots, a lot of spears. What they don't have is God and I'm with you. I will fight with you. And what it means is when you leave this place and you walk out here and you go into this world, God's going to say the same thing. I'm with you. 
You're not going to face the challenges that you have. You might go to a home that the marriage is crumbling, but you don't walk into that home by yourself. It's not just your resources. It's not just your will, your grit, your, your wisdom. God says, I'm with you. Some of you are going to go home and you have some real, real difficulties that you're facing with your kids and you have no idea what to do. And yet God says, like he did to Ahaz, I'm with you. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will give you wisdom. I will give you a grit and I will give you a grace and I will give you a fortitude that you can never imagine because I'm with you. We face this together. But it means secondly, and this is so critical, God with us means that God will have the final say and he will determine our final outcomes, not our enemies. Ahaz What's going to happen in battle has ultimately nothing to do with Rezin and Pekka. It has nothing to do with their soldiers. It has everything God says to do with me. And the things that you face, it doesn't mean that your will, it doesn't mean that your input, it doesn't mean that your wisdom is insignificant. It just means that you will not be the determiner of the outcome of your life. That's God's choice. That's what it means when God says, I'm with you. It means your days are numbered not by your enemy. It means they're numbered by God. It means the outcome, God is the judicial one who stands over all people. One of my favorite moments in the Bible, it's towards the end of Jesus' life. And he's standing before Pilate and Pilate's bowed up and he thinks he's pretty hot stuff. And he kind of takes Jesus on and says, you know, basically colloquially saying, Hey Jesus, do you know who I am? Do you understand that your life is in my hands? And Christ looks back at this punk and he looks at him and says, Dear Pilate. Do what you think you want to do. But the only authority that you have is the authority that my father has given to you. You have no ultimate say in my life. And that's not just with Jesus and Pilate. That's for you. That's what Jesus means. That's what Emmanuel means. Is that God is coming to this earth and he is taking you to be his child. And when he does that, it's not that your choices are insignificant. It simply means that they will not be the final determiner. The scripture says that a man plans his course. But God is the one who determines his steps. There can be all kinds of people out there with all kinds of authority, but they are derived authority. They, every person who speaks to you, who works with you, has a derived authority. They've derived it from somewhere else, and it's the father, Joseph. Your son's name is going to be Jesus. And not only is he going to rescue you from the entrapment and the consequences of your own choices, but he's going to sovereignly step into your life and he's going to be with you. He will be your defender. He will be your paraclete, the one who comes alongside. 
He will be the one who whispers wisdom. He will be the one through prevening grace that goes before you. It's simple things. Simple things like God plans things out far in advance of your knowledge. Why? Because you're his child. He loves you. He delights in you. The scripture says he sings over you. His name will be Jesus. What it means is that every day God wants you to know that he's for you. And God wants you to know that he's with you. At the end of the story, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. The scripture says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. My friend, you don't have to wait till Revelation 21 for that to be true. His name is Jesus. That's why that baby is special. It's because he did what no other baby has ever done. He saved you from yourself. He wants to forgive you this morning. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to take every mistake you've ever made and take you out from underneath the condemning law that says you're guilty. And he wants to eradicate all of that. And he wants to eliminate all of that. Does that eliminate all of the consequences of your choices? No. Does it eliminate the condemnation that keeps you out of heaven with God forever? Yes. But not only does he want to forgive you from your own sins, he wants you to be his daughter and his son. I think it's a gift from God that most, a lot of us get to be parents. Really do. Because you know what it means to have favorites. You know what it means to have somebody that you could just sit and stare at and you'll give 10 hours a day watching some mindless athletic event. Why? Because that's your kid and you love them. You'll spend money that you don't have to keep up with neighbors you don't know. Because that's your kid and you love them. And to think in that moment You have an inkling of what it feels like to be God when he looks at you. 